The inference is made thus not to grab or twist or wrap our hands around the club. Placing was always a valuable word since it implies a lighter grip pressure. Therefore, it became easier to swing the club head. Those of us who are lucky enough to have been around him for a while have truly been touched by a man of unfailing courtesy and generosity, a special kindness the likes of which I have never before witnessed in any man. I have never, ever heard of him remotely raising his voice to another. He is truly a man filled with compassion for others. For all his admirable traits, let us simply say that Harvey Pinnock represents the very best that life and golf can offer. Harvey Pinnock is not only the consummate club and teaching professional, but a unique individual. He has never been interested in the financial rewards or the publicity that may come his way. I personally do not remember ever paying for a lesson after the first few visits. His biggest reward, he told me, was to help someone hit the ball better than they ever hit it before. His demeanor, his honesty, his integrity, and how he lives his everyday life have probably had as much an impact on me as his teaching. To try to live up to his standards has been a wonderful experience and will be even more so since I am trying to become a teaching professional myself. Harvey has touched many lives through the years, and with this program and through the people who have had the privilege to know him, he will continue to touch many more. What a nice thought. My Little Red Book more than 60 years ago, I began writing notes and observations in what I came to call my little red book. Until recently, I had never let anyone read my little red book, except my son Tinsley. My wife Helen could have read it, of course, but a lifetime spent living with a grown-up caddy like me provided Helen with all the information about golf that she cares to know. My intention was to pass my little red book on to Tinsley, who replaced me as head professional at Austin Country Club when I retired with the title of head professional emeritus after holding the job for 50 years. There's only one copy of the Red Scribble Text notebook that I wrote in. What made my little red book special was not that what was written in it had never been said before, it was that what it says about playing golf has stood the test of time. Whether it's for beginners, medium players, experts, or children, anything I say in my book has been tried and tested with success. I sit in my golf cart under the trees on the grass near the veranda at Austin Country Club with my nurse Penny, a patient young woman, who drives us in my golf cart a few blocks from home to the club on days when I feel well enough for the journey. I can't refuse to help when my old friend Tommy Kite, the leading money winner in the history of the game, asks if I'll watch him putt for a while. Tommy asks almost shyly, as if afraid I might not feel strong enough. His request makes my heart leap with joy. I spend nights staring at the ceiling, thinking of what I've seen Tommy doing in tournaments on television, and praying that he will come see me. 
Or I may be sitting in my cart in the shade, enjoying the spring breeze and the rolling greenery of our beautiful golf course, with the blue water of Lake Austin sparkling below, as good and peaceful a place as I know on this earth. And the young touring pro, Cindy Fig Courier, may stop and say hello, and eventually work up the nerve to ask if I will look at her putting stroke. Certainly I will. I get as much pleasure out of helping a rising young pro like Cindy as I do a celebrated hero like Tommy. The doorbell rings at home, and it's one of our members, Gil Kirkendall, who brings Air Force General Robin Olds into the living room and asks if I'll give the general a lesson on the rug from my wheelchair. They're entered in a tournament, and the general has played golf only a few times. Can I teach him in the living room in half an hour? General Olds is a jolly good fellow, thick through the chest. He was a football star at West Point. He has those big muscles that, as Bobby Jones said, can bend a bar, but are no use in swinging a golf club. I fit the general with a strong grip and teach him a very short swing, just about waist-high to waist-high. This man is too muscle-bound to make a full swing, but he is strong enough to advance the ball decently with a short swing. He won't break a hundred in the tournament, but he will make it around the golf course. When they leave, Helen and Penny scold me. I'm wearing myself out, they say. They remind me that earlier a girl who was hoping to make the University of Texas team had come to talk to me about her progress, and I had asked questions for an hour. It's true that I have grown tired as the day became evening, but my mind is excited. My heart is thrilled. I've been teaching. Nothing has ever given me greater pleasure than teaching. I receive as much joy from a first-time pupil hitting the ball into the air so that she can play golf with her husband as I did from watching the development of all the fine players I have been lucky enough to know. Every time I found something about the swing or the stance or the mental approach that proved to be consistently successful, I wrote it down in my little red book. One morning last spring, with squirrels playing in the grass around the wheels of my cart, and a shiny black grackle prowling in the branches above me, I was sitting there wondering if maybe it was wrong to hoard the knowledge I had accumulated. Maybe I had been granted these 87 years of life and this wonderful career in order that I should pass on to everyone what I had learned. This gift had not been given me to keep secret. A writer, Bud Shrake, who lives in the hills near the club, came to visit with me under the trees on this particular morning. Penny gave Bud her seat in my cart. We chatted a few minutes, then it burst out of me. I want to show you something that nobody except Tinsley has ever read, I said. I handed him my little red book and asked if he might help me get it in shape to be published. Bud went into the golf shop and brought Tinsley out to my cart. I asked Tinsley if he thought we should share our book with a larger crowd than the two of us. Tinsley had a big grin on his face. I've been waiting and hoping for you to say that, he said. So that morning, under the trees, we opened my little red book.
Goff Medicine. When I ask you to take an aspirin, please don't take the whole bottle. In the golf swing, a tiny change can make a huge difference. The natural inclination is to begin to overdo the tiny change that has brought success. So you exaggerate in an effort to improve even more, and soon you are lost and confused again. Lessons are not to take the place of practice, but to make practice worthwhile. The slow motion drill. The slow motion drill is a drill you can do at home, and it takes much patience and many repetitions, but the time you spend at it will pay off on the golf course. Mickey Wright practiced this drill often. As an all-purpose drill that is good for whatever ails your golf swing, this is probably the best. You can do it indoors, so you can do it in bad weather, or at night. When I say slow motion, I mean really slow, slow motion. If you think you're doing it in slow motion, do it even slower. Swing the club very slowly to the top of the backswing. Always keep your eye on the blade of grass, or if you're in your living room, aim at a spot on the rug or a pattern in the carpet that represents the golf ball. Watching the club head go back is a terrible habit you can accidentally pick up in this drill and take to the course with you. As you reach the top of the backswing, replace your left heel solidly on the ground and at the same time, bring your right elbow in close to your body, very, very slowly. Bring the club down in extreme slow motion, about one-third of the way toward the ball. Then stop a moment and hold it and feel it. Now start from your holding position and do it again. Swing slowly to the top. Plant the left heel. Bring the right elbow close to the body and stop about one-third of the way toward the ball. Do this four times in a row. Don't get impatient and speed up. Very slowly is the key. After four repetitions, go ahead and make the full swing at last, still in very slow motion, into a high finish with the elbows out front and your head coming up slowly as if to watch a good shot. Hold the pose. Feel it. Now, do the whole thing again and again and again. What is happening is that your golfing brain and your muscles are learning to start your downswing by planning your weight and moving your lower body to the left. And you are coming to the ball from inside with your hands quiet, trailing, and still cocked, not leading and spending energy. Your golfing brain and your muscles learn just as well from repeating the swing in slow motion as from whapping away on the range. In fact, it can be higher quality learning because no mistakes are being made in the slow motion swing. The grip. If you have a bad grip, you don't want a good swing. One of my University of Texas golfers was playing in a tournament in North Carolina. He won his first match handily. He phoned me and said, the guy I play tomorrow I can beat easily. He has a bad grip and also a bad swing. 
my boy lost the next match. The lesson to be learned, I told my golfer later, is don't be afraid of the player with a good grip and a bad swing. Don't be afraid of a player with a bad grip and a good swing. The player to beware of is the one with the bad grip and the bad swing. If he's reached your level, he has grooved his faults and knows how to score. With a bad grip, you'll have to make unattractive adjustments in your swing to hit the ball squarely. It's no good to make a beautiful Al Guyberger swing unless you grip the club like he does. If Al twisted his hands around into some kind of ugly grip and then made his graceful swing, he might knock the ball out of bounds. As a teacher, I have learned that one of the most delicate matters to attend is the student's grip. Changing a bad grip into a good grip requires a great amount of practice. Unless the student is willing and able to do this, I would be a dumb teacher if I demanded a radical alteration from an ordinary player in one lesson. I like to see your hands toward the inside of your left thigh on every shot except the driver. With the driver, I like to see your hands at your zipper. If this moves them slightly behind the ball at address, that's fine. It encourages hitting on the upswing. One grip does not fit all. The interlocking grip with the forefinger of the top hand laced between the little finger and the ring finger of the bottom hand is for people who have short fingers. Gene Sarazen, Jack Nicklaus, and Tom Kite use it. The overlapping grip with the little finger of the bottom hand wrapped into the hollow between the forefinger and middle finger of the top hand or on top of the left forefinger is the most widely used among ordinary players as well as experts, though with many individual variations. Ben Hogan, Arnold Palmer, Byron Nelson, Ben Crenshaw, Sam Snead, Al Guyberger, and Payne Stewart are just a few of the overlappers, and none of their grips are exactly alike. The two-hand or ten-finger grip, with all the fingers on the handle, sometimes called the baseball grip, although the baseball bat is held more in the palms and a golf club more in the fingers, is especially good for women and older players who may lack strength. If you will pick up a yardstick and let your hands fit it, that will come closer to giving you a good grip than anything I could write about, where to point your V's and all of that. Just pick up a yardstick.